Well, my friends, first I have to say how awkward this is. I hope you can hear out there. Uh, if not, uh, this will be uh, recording it on another phone, so it will also be on um, on our website soon after mass. So, well, gotta get this uh, joke over. We always do this. For some reason, priests uh, uh, don't like calling this pink. It's rose. It's not pink. One way to remember that is he rose from the dead. He did not pink. Today, my friends, is this fourth Sunday of our Lenten journey. It is Lentari Sunday, which means rejoice. You know, I'm not sure what it is about this color rose, uh, uh, but I have had a few times wearing it where it was honestly very difficult to rejoice. This being, of course, high among the, the first, uh, my first year in the priesthood, uh, not during Lent, but during Advent on Gaudete Sunday, where we also wear rose. I was praying about this this morning, two days after the Newtown, Connecticut shooting. So many innocent children lost their lives. So much senseless violence. Two days later, having to celebrate Mass and to try to help the people of God rejoice. You know, one of our parishioners at Blessed Sacrament came into the sanctuary as I was uh, setting up for Mass and just got it into my face, honestly, because he was rightly upset about the whole situation. Are you going to talk about it? I really didn't know what he was talking about at the time, so he repeated himself two more times. Are you going to talk about it? Are you going to, what am I going to talk about? Are you going to talk about the shooting? Of course I'm going to talk about the shooting. Please go sit down. He had no ideas that I had dear friends from Newtown, Connecticut. Thankfully, they were not in that particular school. They're, they're boys, but uh, they uh, were very much afraid. We were all impacted that day so long ago, and we are all, my friends, impacted now by what's going on in the world. But we are called to rejoice. He rose from the dead so that we could rise. And we will rise, my friends. We're only able to rejoice in Christ through grace. We're only able to rise in Him, and we will rise. His plan is surely mysterious for us right now, but it is a good plan. We can be assured of that. So as my beloved Therese would say, trust and trust alone should lead us to love. I do know one thing, my friends, is, uh, well, no one will be rejoicing over this beard I'm trying to grow. I, <laughs> I uh, stopped shaving on Tuesday when uh, the public nature of masses was suspended, not out of protest, although I think everyone involved would love to be able to be together in the holy sacrifice of the mass, but we're having to be creative these days. We're having to use electronic media. This is not a protest beard. It is, assuming I continue with this, a, uh, well, and to the extent I can actually grow up here, I never try, but it's in solidarity with all of you. I know this is difficult. I know not being able to come together as a faithful community to come to love the Lord together and to receive sacramentally uh, the greatest gift he gives us, which is in very self in the Eucharist. I know that it's hard, but we are in this together. It is a battle. It is a battle. We uh, need to be strengthened, and we can be strengthened in so many ways. I can tell you, you are strengthening me. You are strengthening Father Kleiman and all your parish priests, our bishops. You know, our adoration, we, we normally do a perpetual adoration.
celebration and stuff for on the weekends, but we extended it to the weekends. And you guys come, 10 at a time, uh, you have to limit it to that, but you come. And I was so edified last night, I was taking a late walk and I was around the church and I saw two guys kneeling outside, kneeling, looking through the window where they could see the Eucharistic presence of our God and Savior, kneeling there on the concrete because they were, uh, well, there was already 10 people in the church. Such a beautiful, beautiful witness. My friends, the confessional doors remain open. We have to kind of do a little things to make sure uh, no one gets sick, of course, but the doors of mercy remain open throughout uh, this difficult time. Please go to your parish priests. You know, I, was, I had to drive over to the parish this morning to uh, pick something up before I came back to the rectory uh, to celebrate this Holy Mass, and the parking lot was empty. I mean, there were a few cars in there, uh, the adorers in there at Adoration, no doubt trying to uh, be present uh, before the most blessed sacrament at a time, perhaps, than they normally would have been at Mass. And the Lord was speaking to my heart in that moment, first this deep sadness, but then he helped me realize that the church is not dead. She has just in some ways had to go underground. And so many of you will be accessing the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, not in an ideal way for sure, but electronically. We can finally use our phones for something that is helping us get to heaven. The church is not dead. She may be underground, but this too will pass, my friends. We're preparing for something great something greater than ourselves. We can be assured wherever there is great evil, and this surely, coronavirus is surely evil, the death and the uh, sickness, uh, the economic destruction perhaps, uh, all is evil. But more abundant grace, more abundant grace is being afforded to us in this time. This is not what our Lenten journeys are really all about, have always been about. We began our Ash Wednesday journeys by recognizing that every last one of us is a hypocrite. We came in great numbers to receive these ashen crosses to tell the whole world, I am a sinner. I am a sinner in need of grace. I am a sinner in need of salvation. And thankfully, I found the person of Jesus Christ who has saved me and continues to do so. We celebrated the temptation of the Lord in the desert where Jesus went before me. He went before you to be tested. Of course, he could not be tempted in the same way, but he went before us and has been tempted in all the ways that we are tempted. He showed us the way. He took it on himself so that we can overcome temptation. And then we celebrate his beautiful transfiguration. We got a glimpse, just, just kind of small glimpse, but it was a beautiful glimpse nonetheless of his divinity. I realized that we too have to go up the mountain. We too have to go up the mountain so that we can, with the small tea breath, so that we can be transfigured ourselves. And then, last Sunday, we meditated on the Samaritan woman at the well. Perhaps we meditated on our own conversion. We see the Samaritan woman going through her conversion, calling our Lord first sir, and then prophet, and then the Christ. And then her whole town called him the savior of the world. This outcast, this great sinner of, this, of the Samaritan town became a great witness. She became a missionary. 
She became a great lover of Christ who came to help her whole town to come to know him as well. Which brings us to today, this man born blind, who also, of course, went through a similar sort of conversion, speaking first of the Lord as man and prophet, and then saying he is from God, and ultimately becoming his disciple, calling him Lord, a uh, Lord worthy of worship. He had this beautiful physical healing, but more importantly, he had a beautiful um, well, spiritual healing that happened as he did become his disciple. You know, this is the sixth sign in John's Gospel, six of seven. I do think it's uh, kind of important to see the sort of momentum that John has building up in his Gospel to this point, that first sign, of course, being the wedding feast of King, where our Lord turned water into wine at a wedding. You know, so many weddings are having to be postponed or uh, really reduced in size. So many dear friends of mine that was preparing for marriage are really caught up in this coronavirus. It's, it's really uh, tipping over their uh, plans for that particular day. And sometimes even postponing uh, when their marital uh, lives will begin. But this, what Mary said, her last words in Holy Scripture, uh, can be uh, very helpful always, but particularly in these times for all of us, do whatever he tells you. You know, my friends, as we sit, please God, as our families and our homes huddled around the computer, uh, we uh, are uh, reminded, perhaps, that the Lord did begin his uh, public ministry at a wedding. He began the public ministry with the smallest unit of the church, the family. The family has been under attack, but we can be assured that this being the first sign that there is abundant grace being poured forth upon families right now. And the second uh, and third uh, were two uh, signs, were two healings, uh, a Jew and a non-Jew, a Jew and a Gentile, the Lord showing us that his grace is abundant he came to heal us. And then we go through John 6, perhaps one of the greatest uh, chapters in all of Holy Scripture, where he first, the fourth sign, feeds 5,000. He points to the greatest of signs. He points to the supernatural sign of grace that happens at every Mass, that the Lord does give us himself to eat heavenly food, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, so sadly that uh, the lay faithful are separated from that, and so we're called to do a spiritual communion, a reminder of that longing that we have, that intimacy with the Lord. He ascended not to leave us alone, but to ascend into the sacraments. And these sacraments, the most blessed sacrament, will become available to you as soon as we can make that possible. The fifth sign, also in John's uh, sixth chapter, Jesus walks on waters. He is in that feeding of the 5,000, showing us that he has uh, control of the supernatural, being able to change the elements of water and wine, or excuse me, the bread and wine into himself, but also that he can walk on water. He has control over nature. We should have confidence that the Lord is in control. And even though it seems uh, well, a hot mess here with this coronavirus, the Lord is ultimately in charge, which brings us, of course, to the man born blind uh, that we celebrate today, but then that seventh sign, which is pointing to or moving in this great momentum to the right rising of Lazarus, the rising of Lazarus to a reminder that, uh, well, he came to give us life, 
and to give us life in abundance. He gave us, came to give us eternal life. My friends, there's so much more I think we could say about all these readings. There's so much more I want to say. I probably will say, uh, sit down and relax. Um, but um, I do think it's important that we uh, speak about this Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Such, uh, anyway, I was praying about this particular line. It was really a little surprising to me. I don't know, I, perhaps I've noticed this before, but it says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You know, I'm tempted to like insert a word, and I forget a word, you were once in darkness, but now you're in the light. No, it says you were once darkness. That our, uh, that we, I'm not saying we're snow-covered poo right now, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying perhaps what St. Therese said so beautifully. She said, I'm not, to, I'm not saying that we believe too much in our own wretchedness, we are much more wretched than we realize. She's very bold, of course. But I am saying that we do not believe enough in merciful love. Therese believed rightly that our misery attracts his mercy. And so we are struggling, uh, perhaps in our misery right now, but we can be assured his mercy is coming, being poured forth upon us in abundance. You know, the gospel says that he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay in his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. Such an unhygienic sort of uh, thing that the Lord did, to, and we would not be doing this now in this time of uh, the coronavirus. We will not be uh, spitting on the ground and smearing anything on anyone. Uh, but uh, this is a beautiful reminder that out of the dirt, out of the clay, the Lord formed that first man, Adam. He formed it out of the clay, and this is a reminder that he's drawing us to, uh, to that uh, new life in him. He smeared that same verb that would be later used in an anointing. He's showing us this is a sacramental act that the Lord is doing in this moment. He says, go, there's action required for us. I, do, I, I wish I could remember this. I put it on one of my podcasts, but uh, two-thirds of God is go. Uh, two-thirds of our effort, perhaps, is just getting up off the couch and seeking the Lord. Uh, you can sit on your couches now. Or, uh, anyway. Uh, and they said, go and wash. To wash is a beautiful reminder of our baptism. Wash that pool of Siloam, which means scent, is pointing us to Christ. We are washed. He is who we uh, uh, who washes our sin away. It's Christ who we enter into in order to have our sin removed. Only then can we come back able to see. There's this incredible encounter with uh, the neighbors where uh, they asked him if he was the man that had once been blind. And his response was not, yes. <laughs> his response was very interesting. He said, I am. He made reference to the divine name. I am. What an odd sort of thing for John to put in his gospel. He's not saying that he is God, but he is saying what we all can say, that in Christ through grace, we can be divinized. 
We can't become God, but we become like God, more perfectly in His image and likeness, my friends. We ought to be meditating on this in this difficult time, but always that the Lord delights in you, that the Lord delights in me. Uh, we are made as image and likeness. He seeks us. We see this in today's gospel, that after he was thrown out, the Lord found him. A reminder by John in his gospel that there's some, there is something worse than being dead, and that is being lost. The Lord desires all the lost to be found. And I do believe also, the last thing on the gospel, he says, isn't this the one who used to sit and beg. I was really praying on this particular line throughout the work, throughout the week. Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? I hope that that's what they can say about you and me. That we are now sitting and beggars before the Lord, coming to our local churches, coming and literally sitting or kneeling before that Eucharistic sacrifice in the tabernacle and begging the Lord for his mercy begging the Lord for his grace, coming to him in intimate conversation. I hope we are doing this today. I hope we make this part of our plans going forward, that going to him, begging him in humility, in our brokenness, that we, have, we can meet, we can truly encounter Christ. The Lord is our shepherd. There is nothing we shall want besides him. My friends, we do need a plan. I'm wrapping up if you're wondering. Uh, we do need a plan. And prayer ought to be at the center of our plan. I do uh, think that that is one of the things that is going to come back and bite the devil, is the fact that the people of God are going to become men, women, and children of deep, intimate, truly personal, even sacrificial prayer. We have to have a plan. Our plans have been disrupted fine, but we need a new plan. We're in a new place. Give the Lord your morning. It's the hardest time to give. Don't sleep until noon, kids. No, we get up and we pray. We give that hardest time to the Lord. We also ought to be fasting. You know, I can tell you uh, that there are a group of priests in our diocese, the Diocese of Arlington, that are all fasting. We are fasting, we've all taken a day or some even more than one day. We're, uh, most of us doing not uh, one of those wimpy Catholic fasts of these days, but uh, only the Eucharist and water or coffee. This is what we ought to be doing. These are extraordinary days. They require extraordinary responses. My friends, your priests are fasting for you. We're fasting because we know it's difficult to be away from the most blessed sacrament. We can all sacrifice, and we ought to be doing it. The elderly, of course, are dispensed from this, from food fast, but we can all fast in particular ways. Perhaps we can all decide, at least for one hour a day, I will not look at the screen. For one hour a day, I will sit in quiet, the whole house in quiet. Perhaps reading a, a book, an edifying book, one that lifts us up, right? Not one that tears us down. One that uh, we need a quiet hour for prayer and spiritual reading. How about we all take a fast from complaining? No complaining. Kids, this I. Why don't we all, kids, take up this mantle? Kids, act like you try to act those weeks before Christmas, knowing that Santa is coming. Behave. Your, your parents 
are also extraordinarily busy. Not only are they having to get their own uh, workplace work done, now perhaps in the home, but now they have to help you monitor the whole school stuff. There's much going on. Your parents are busy too. And I want to uh, quote Mother Teresa uh, before talking about almsgiving, such a uh, natural sort of handoff from Mother Teresa, saying Mother Teresa, because she says that love begins at home. I do think that this is another thing that's going to come to bite the devil in the backside because uh, the, the devil thinks that he's winning by attacking the family, attacking the smallest unit of the church, by being forced to be together, this forced farm right, this forced community, perhaps it's been difficult. I don't want to minimize that uh, true aspect, but we're going to have to figure out how to get together in love. Love begins at home, she says. And it's not how much we do, but how much we love, how much we put in the action that we do. I want you to find the poor here, she says, right in your own home first, and begin love there. I think sometimes we think, this is my words, that we have to do something extraordinary. We have to go to Peru or something. We have to go to some far off land to meet the poor. My friends, the poor are among us. If we don't love our own families, how can we love someone we do not know? Then she goes on to say, there is a terrible hunger for love. We all experience that in our lives. The pain, the loneliness. We must have the courage to recognize it. The poor you may have right in your own family. Find them. Love them. And then she went to talk about loving our neighbor and wondering if we even know our neighbor. I wouldn't recommend going knocking on the door right now in these days, but uh, let's make it a part of our to-do list, right? That we have to come to know our neighbor. Finally, of course, speaking of neighbors, uh, we ought to be doing some form of almsgiving during this difficult time. It's harder for us, of course, in our isolation to do almsgiving, but there are perhaps elderly uh, people in our neighborhood that we can be doing some shopping for and just dropping off the groceries. Call your local parish because many of us are uh, doing this, collecting groceries and then bringing them to the homebound, bringing them to the elderly and the sick of our parish. So do call us at St. Veronica's. Call your local parish and see if there's something that you can do or help someone you know. And call someone you know. The elderly are, are oftentimes lonely and this is a very uh, more difficult time. We can't go to the nursing homes. Your priest cannot go there. You cannot go there. Call someone. Uh, call your mom. Call your grandparents uh, and give them a virtual hug. And we can all be praying. We can all be praying for the vulnerable, the homeless. Of course, we ought to be praying for our health care workers. So many, they're on the front lines of this coronavirus. Let's pray for them. Let's perhaps call them as well and, and to try to give them comfort, perhaps going making a meal for them too. They are tired. They are working endless hours for you and for me. And this is only going to get worse before it gets better, it seems. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders that they will make the right decisions to uh, make this coronavirus situation not as bad as it has to be. Pray for our scientists. Pray for the pharmaceutical companies that perhaps will come up with cures uh, for this hot mess. And my friends, hang in there. 
we do have to be, we ought to be men and women of hope. We have to be men and women of joy. It's joy that is Christ in us. It's joy, that fruit of the Holy Spirit. God's got this, but we have to let him. Amen? Amen.